and welcome to the Parkview Podcast. I'm Paul Hank, Investment Analyst at Parkview, and joining me is Osama Himani, CIO of The Firm. In this week's episode, we focus on the world of big tech and the key debates centered around data privacy, competition, and taxation. Our guest this week is Greg Francis, the Managing Director of Access Partnership, which is the world's leading public policy firm dedicated to opening markets for technology. Greg supports some of the world's largest governments and companies in executing strategies related to public affairs. We're very excited to hear Greg's thoughts on the current state of big tech, how and if regulation should be implemented in the sector, and the implications for regulation on markets and sociopolitical issues. So thank you, Greg, for taking the time to talk to us. Always appreciate talking to you uh, regarding regulatory issues because you've been in this sphere for a very long time. Now, Large tech companies for investors are really at the center of three, what what I see as three separate debates. There is a taxation debate and whether or not large tech companies are paying their fair share of taxes, but but this is an issue that really isn't really specific to the tech sector. It impacts a lot of the the other multinational companies, let's say, you know, the Starbucks, for example. Maybe the this is an issue we can, of course, put aside and not really part of this conversation. So that leaves two other debates that investors look at. One is is competition. And, and here, you know, the, we've seen the, the hearings in the U.S. Senate recently, which has you know, have, have come after a you know, considerable public debate on the issues. And the reality is that, you know, U.S. antitrust regulation is inherited from an era where, where the litmus test for anti-competitive practices was, how does this hurt the consumer? And, and of course, this is not an easy question to answer in cases where, you know, the product, whether it's a, a search result, a Google search result, or a free WhatsApp call is, is free. Um, and then there is the, the third debate, which is, you know, uh, is data privacy and, and people's control of their own data. And this is something that, that of course, became intertwined with a lot of the, the uh, political debates. Now, um, you know, focusing on these two issues, I mean, do you think that, would you agree that these are the three separable issues that the way we're, we're looking at them or, or, or do, you, do you approach the, the area differently? Well, they're certainly uh, necessary, but not sufficient. Let me begin by saying thank you for the invitation to uh, opine on these matters. Um, at Access Partnership, we did a breakdown of, of regulatory and legal issues um, that you know, across the, the tech sector and identified maybe 17 separate think tanks and, and treaty organizations that had uh, analyzed the issues that broadly fall into five buckets. And, and I'm telling you this because I do think that taxation is one of them. So that if, if you take the, the 17 different bodies of work and, and boil them down, they roughly fall into human rights uh, and expression online, uh, privacy and protection of personal data, digital security, uh, trade and tax, and then lastly, the exercise of law enforcement powers and regulatory oversight. So you're, I think, right to to lump them all together to a point because uh, in part, there's an element of each of, or there's a reaction to each of these issues when we talk about the tech sector and we talk about the trust gap that it suffers and the tech lash as people like to call it now that, uh, that flows from that. 
So, Greg, um, step, stepping back slightly, it's been argued that the initial phase of growth in the tech industry has been made possible by limited amounts of regulation in the past. And that, you know, growth in the space has been more rapid than in other industries, um, sort of comparably. Do you think this is fair to say? And uh, where would you place the maturity of the current debates around tech uh, at the moment? Uh, it's true to a point. You know, I think a lot of industries grow up quickly and take root broadly because they uh, are less regulated than older industries. So sure, that was true of the tech sector. I think what's particularly challenging for the sector now is weaning itself off of that, uh, that environment where received wisdom for so many years, especially in, in the internet space. And to, you know, this is less, what I'm about to say is less true of infrastructure because as we know, uh, telecommunications and ICT is, as it's called, uh, is, is much more regulated. It's a much more mature part of the tech sector, but at least the, uh, the internet economy and, uh, you know, you may talk about e-commerce and online platforms and so on in that context uh, has been, unregulated and the received wisdom principally emanating from the United States was that that was the best way to make sure that the benefits of this uh, extremely effective tool of economic growth could take root everywhere as fast as possible. So it was marketed almost uh, as uh, an, an economic good or gift uh, to those who were planning to participate in the internet economy on a, an unregulated basis. So that, that's sort of where the, the, the industry began or that, that part of the tech industry began. And it's difficult for any company to face a different reality when they're used to one environment. Uh, they're used to returns on investment that are exceptionally high. Uh, even today with the amount of regulation self-imposed or, or uh, imposed by by governments that even today that they're, they're seeing rates of growth um, that you'll be more aware of than, than I, but it's always double digit. Uh, and that's true uh, even you know, in, in global crises, such as the one that we're living through currently. Uh, so I think I've lost the thread of your question, but the punchline is that yes, that is that how, how the tech sector has been as successful as it is. And yes, that is the essential question that they face. It's how they're going to uh, continue in the world when they know, principally because governments are telling them and they themselves are asking for uh, increased regulation. How do you balance that regulation with, the, with your past to make sure that your, your growth doesn't suffer over much uh, and that your innovation uh, doesn't suffer at all? You're raising some interesting questions and let me stop for a minute and think now in your answers uh, earlier, you mentioned what you called the trust gap. And I thought that was an interesting thought. So, so maybe, maybe to, to, to go back to that, because, because a lot of what I read about tech and, and a lot of the discussion is about how dominant some companies are. And, and this is really true if you, if, you look at, if you look at them from a, not just from a consumer perspective, but from an investor perspective. So, so if you're an investor in tech, you know, the, the, in, each, in each subsector in technology, the two largest players are basically more than 50% of the, of the market capitalization. That's right. And, 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 and if you are a consumer, you, 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 you know, there aren't 
you feel we feel as though there are, there aren't too many choices but then looking at it from a competitiveness perspective it's not it's not clear really that that this is truly stifling competition because because we've seen these phenomena happen in the past i mean if you you know, you go back 100 years when Kodak dominated personal photography. 90% of all photos taken worldwide were, were basically on Kodak film. Um, it dominated in the same way Instagram dominates today, but, but then where's Kodak now? And, and, and even in the internet age, you know, Google came about by displacing Yahoo. MySpace has gone nowhere. Uh, you know, uh, at one point, at least in, in, uh, in the handset space, Nokia was big, now Nokia is doing something else. So, so it's not clear to me that, you know, the large players today in certain sectors will necessarily be, will remain in the future, given the current competitive landscape. So maybe the competition regulation is not the right one, but, but more in terms of, in terms of what, you, what you described as the trust gap. Is that, is that really the issue? And how would you, how would you address the, the trust gap? Well, I'll, t- I'll take the, the, the first bit first, which is the competition. I, I suspect generally you're, you're right. I, I think it can feel as a consumer that um, there's little choice. That's not precisely true if you just think of the number of over-the-top services that are available uh, to you or the number of platforms that are available to you to conduct a, an interview like this. There's, uh, they're not all owned by one company, but uh, we do hear, I think, with some sincerity from CEOs of some of those NASDAQ listed companies you referred to, uh, you know, they're so highly capitalized that uh, it is a knife fight in market, uh, in every market, worldwide, everywhere. So from the perspective of those tech companies uh, that understand all too well uh, the ebb and flow of success uh, and growth uh, in, in their, their own sector, and I think historically among um, large companies, that notion of um, you know, near monopoly power is a little bit more remote to them a little bit more obscure. Um, to the, the point of the trust gap, uh, yes, that is one that different companies are uh, addressing in different ways. So for example, um, it, it began about 10 years ago that CSR was one way of addressing it, but that clearly didn't uh, close the gap. Uh, yeah. to, to, to the point about how companies um, address trust, they are trying a number of different approaches. We can get into what those approaches are if it's of interest, but I think at a, at a macro level, what's important is that they have recognized that their access to markets and the popularity or uptake of the services that they provide will ebb and flow with the extent to which companies trust, uh, the, the oh, sorry, the, the, uh, the extent to which consumers trust the companies that provide them. So, you know, why does Microsoft make such a big stink about refusing uh, to turn over uh, certain data uh, to the United States government? Why does Apple uh, make such a big show of not turning over whatever backdoor access they may or may not have built into their handsets uh, when the FBI is looking uh, at ways of managing or you know, identifying uh, terrorist activities as they did in California with that couple some years ago. They do that expressly because they want to demonstrate to the wider world, well, let me not be unfair, they do that because they are companies uh, that are governed by people of principle. I think that's probably fair to say in the case of some of the big tech companies uh, that are, say, California or Washington state-based. Uh, I don't speak for all tech companies. I don't speak for them, for, for even the American ones. But you know, there are some that have uh, 
acted on principle in the past, and we can presume that they're still guided by that. But it has the very beneficial effect uh, on the market of announcing uh, just how trustworthy they are in respect of personal data. Now, you know, how trustworthy are they in respect of uh, adjudicating matters of information, uh, sharing information uh, with uh, other trusted parties or parties that they trust, um, protecting children online and so on. These are, these are other questions that uh, they perhaps don't do so or don't answer so, so uh, immediately or, or obviously. But uh, it is precisely the reason why these big companies uh, are in a bit of a bind because on the one hand, governments are saying you must be regulated. Uh, but governments don't really know precisely how to impose that regulation. And to some extent, it, it drifts back into a conversation about antitrust and competition, not what the companies want. That's not the kind of regulation they're, they're, they're looking for. Uh, and the companies themselves are calling for regulation, not antitrust regulation. They feel it's competitive in, enough of an environment, but rather regulation that shares what it is the electorate or the citizens, if they don't come from parliamentary democracies, will tolerate in terms of data protection, information sharing, child online protection, and so on. They're, they're saying in a way, let us hear from you, the markets, uh, what kind of regulation you, you think we need to, uh, need to be imposed on us and, and we'll impose that regulation on ourselves. Two reasons for this. One, you always want to, you, know, you probably give yourself a better deal uh, than a government will, but then your trust will, will falter. But if you wait for a government to do it, your trust will, you know, the, the stock in your trust will, will drop to zero or through the floor uh, and government still won't take action. So you'll, you'll still be in the same bind. If nobody's gonna solve the problem for you, you solve it yourself. Uh, and we've seen that you know, in a number of cases over the years with um, you know, the European Court of Justice at the time or, or, or other uh, national governments effectively telling some of the big uh, internet platforms, you must regulate yourselves in different ways. You must deal with notice and takedown by creating your own board and so on uh, to, to adjudicate what, uh, what should remain on your search engine or you know, what your search engine throws up on the, on the first page, what shouldn't, how people uh, envisage the right to be forgotten and so on. All of that to say uh, that yes, uh, trust is the big problem, uh, but it's kind of stuck, the solution is stuck uh, between companies who are asking for regulation and governments who aren't coughing up or announcing what kind of regulation they believe is necessary in order to re-instill trust uh, in these services. So companies are left to do uh, best they can on their own. It's not always coordinated. Uh, it doesn't always, it's not always the same message that companies send in terms of why they should be trusted, uh, but they do have to chart their own path because ain't nobody doing it for them. So, so what you're basically saying is you, you, you basically have a situation where the companies and, and the governments are stuck. Now, this is interesting because the, 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 the companies are calling for regulation, but, but they're waiting to hear what their, their user base essentially wants. But that doesn't seem to have very many clear-cut answers. So, so since you are in this in this space and following it very closely, what do you think are, are the practicable solutions? Where, where would it, you know, how could you envision, envisage a solution? Look, I, I've been cheating throughout this uh, conversation by talking about the tech sector, which is a very broad church, which encompasses 
companies of many different stripes providing many different services. So the solution is going to be uh, either very broad uh, or very specific. And so I won't speak for any particular company about the solution that would fix their trust gap, but in aggregate terms, you, you can look at it as having a choice between uh, you know, two, two options. The first one is um, every company comes to its own arrangement with each government's uh, issue by issue, um, you know, vertical by vertical, year by year. And I say year by year, obviously, you know, time is linear, but uh, the extent to which governments want to regulate and the um, effectiveness with which they regulate uh, changes very rapidly over time in the tech sector. So time is, you know, you're not just regulated once and then you go away. You end up inventing something else that needs to be regulated or, or managed. Uh, so that's one option. And this is uh, an option that that's where we are at present. This is the, the status quo. Companies meeting out their own ends in each market. Perfectly possible because that's uh, how the world is turning on its axis, but uh, ultimately unsustainable because... Uh, some governments are going to be able to create regulatory authorities or um, provide the guidance to companies that is necessary to keep them, as it were, within their box in that market or to, in other words, to, to ensure that trust is maintained in that service. Uh, but not many countries can do that. Uh, I take the example of South Africa that uh, has a, uh, a telecoms regulator, only telecoms in the main, you know, a little, little bit of internet services, but you know, nothing compared to the, the multiplicity of issues that we've been talking about in this conversation. Their budget is roughly you know, $25 million. If they were to try and regulate uh, all of the issues that we've addressed, uh, you know, earlier in the discussion, we talked about five big buckets, broadly speaking, five times the cost uh, of a regulator. So that's $125 million per annum just to regulate the tech sector. That's what the cost of, of uh, the UK's telecom regulator, or the, the budget of the, the UK's telecom regulator on an annual basis, $125 million. You know, How many countries can afford that? Not a lot. Uh, it's certainly not going to be the case for um, you know, most middle-income countries uh, or any uh, countries that still find themselves uh, farther behind in the development process, ergo, uh, that's not sustainable. Where does that lead us? Probably a more holistic solution. Um, probably, and this is certainly the direction that some BRIC countries have been trying to push the tech sector in for some time, and they have a leadership voice, and so they must be heeded to some extent. Uh, and that would be a multilateral solution, um, something akin to most favored nation status uh, for individual companies. Um, and it would be a, an instrument, pro probably a treaty uh, that was opted into by different governments. You know, they could have subscribed to various levels of, uh, of technology and the co technology companies could uh, sign up for various levels of, to provide various levels of access in each of these markets. And the terms would be common to all and hopefully transparent and predictable and enable uh, tech to be developed uh, 
in a way that was both future-proofed and, and would maintain trust over the long term. So that year-to-year -year risk to the trust gap would be eliminated also. Now, we're a long way from that. Um, there's been a lot of movement in the direction of multilateral bridge building across that lacuna of trust. It's a get horribly mixed up in a metaphor. Uh, you know, some of them are, are well known uh, to your listeners, I'm sure. You have the Budapest Convention that started out as a cybersecurity uh, convention of you know, less than 100 countries. There, there's the work of the, uh, the OSCE, work of the OECD in respect of digital tax. Uh, there's work that the BRICS have done, the, the companies themselves, such as Microsoft, that have put forward the, the Digital Geneva Convention uh, concept. You know, the, the idea is out there. It's not unfamiliar to most people, but uh, so far there, there has not been identified an entity that has the convening power or uh, that will be given the backing by other governments or the industry uh, to pull the parties together. But it seems to be, uh, at least at the margin, the only other option. Probably there are third ways between the two uh, Rose up just described, but that you know between the status quo uh, and uh, a worldwide holistic solution that lasts, uh, it's difficult to see a middle ground. This is interesting because what you're basically saying is is this what what you call vertical by vertical uh, type of regulation is one would assume pretty cumbersome and, and costly to administer for companies. So, so in a way, costly to administer for companies and, and for countries. So in a way, something that is more uh, coherent um, and, and broader would potentially be, be less of a burden on companies, I, I would think. Am I, am I right in, in making that assumption? That's the, maybe one, one reaction to listening to. And the other, though, talking about multilateralism, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not familiar, uh, you know, with with uh, some of the you know initiatives you mentioned. What what the BRICS, for example, might be might be pushing for in this area. But but I am familiar with with the you know at least we see a lot about the the big philosophical difference uh, between the United States and the European Union in in um, in approaching regulation. Um, and, and, and I wonder to what extent these can be, uh, these gaps can be, uh, uh, differences can be bridged um, through some sort of multilateral framework. And, and, and maybe what, what we have now is simply where, you know, one, one region or one big country passes regulation that basically forces tech companies to adopt it worldwide, right? For example, GDPR, which has ramifications all around the world, even though it's not, it, it was introduced as, as EU regulations. Is that, is that a fair way of, of you know, characterizing it? It's not, there's nothing unfair about predictions in respect to the tech sector, right? We're, we're all sort of making this up as we go. It's true that companies, to be very specific, a company like Facebook can afford to um, assemble uh, a, an oversight board you know, that adjudicates or manages, or helps guide it on matters of ethics uh, and you know, rights and human rights. This, this isn't something that, that many tech companies can afford or have at least not worked into their, their business case. But uh, ultimately, if your question is, 
can, it, would it not be attractive to companies to, to come up with a more holistic solution? You would think it would be for, for simple reasons that I think we've discussed that it's more sustainable over the long term and provides the, the transparency and predict predictability that is necessary to uh, enable continued investment and allow uh, smaller players, by the way, uh, competing companies uh, to emerge and, and be funded uh, and compete. Uh, but having said all that, uh, I think we have to recognize uh, human nature. Facebook and Google uh, and some of their, their peers have taken already steps to establish these self-regulatory mechanisms. Uh, so, you know, through the inaction of governments, uh, that, that reflects that we described earlier, well, nature abhors a vacuum. You know, the, government, the, the companies have, have stepped in to try and create their own regulation, or at least create the structures that will enable them, if not to regulate themselves, to make decisions that are not inconsistent with what they think will make people trust them. And so the question then becomes, will these enormous multinationals move from a model of self-regulation or self-guidance, self let's call it that for the moment, uh, would they put their trust in some multilateral process that, you know, let's face it, we all know the multilateral system is not uh, convened or managed by the private sector. They would have to put their trust, the companies would have to put their trust uh, in an intergovernmental process that ended up being fair to them. And here, even if they could find their way to that point, even if they could believe that it was possible, um, you know and your investors know full well what the multilateral environment looks like if you're a dyed-in-the-wool U.S. tech company. And let us admit between us mice that that is largely what we're talking about. So that leads us to the conclusion that if they're not going uh, to, the, to the multilateral approach, then maybe, yes, they, they would turn to uh, a gold standard type of regulation such as the Europeans have, have created with GDPR and say, you know, hell of a lot better that we take on this slightly tougher regulation, even if it isn't uh, homegrown. But we'll live up to GDPR, no problem. Uh, it's going to be a better outcome than we will get uh, from you know, a, a long grinding multilateral process with a chairman from Myanmar or Iran or Saudi Arabia. All good health to the people of those great countries. Nonetheless, they wouldn't be particularly um, accommodating of, of the technology companies in, in, in my experience. So if there is a, a type of regulation, however difficult it is, that uh, looks to be a gold standard and Europe's adopted it and then other companies start living up to it so it becomes a de facto standard, yes, it reaches critical mass and that'll solve some of the problems. And maybe here, you know, I, I suggested to, to my friends at Parkview, maybe that's as good as we get. We get about 60%, you know, some of the top level issues, a global standard for those and the companies just duke it out in respect of market share on all the rest of those issues and there's a trust gap that never really closes uh, for for many of them does it make sense no i mean absolutely it does and and i guess you know i mean the the, the trust gap i mean it's particularly stark uh, at least um in in the case of tech companies but the reality is that is that uh, consumers are are skeptical of a lot of uh, large corporations, right? This is this is maybe uh, you know the the political winds we we live in now, right? The, the political climate we live in now. I mean, I 
You know, is there a trust gap with big pharma? Sure. Is there a big trust with banks? Of course. So tech is not particularly unique, right? I suppose it's not particularly unique, except in so far as, as you pointed out, there is a a size issue with some of these tech companies, and they do have both the reach and influence of governments uh, unto themselves. Maybe the question is a more binary one uh, for some of them. You know, if, if I'm Apple and I have gone to great lengths to demonstrate how carefully I safeguard your personal information, and I have a lot of it, um, do you? And maybe I'll ask this as a, as a personal anecdotal matter. I, I sense from your accent you, you possibly um, are you know, not from the US or the UK. Would you trust your personal data to your home government more than you would to Apple? Uh, uh, of course not. I, mean. <laughs> I, I don't know how many people would yeah. in the end, actually. Yeah. So I, 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 a, would, I, I would actually trust. I mean, you know, I, so I would one. trust uh, a... a private company much more easily than than uh, a government uh, but but this is me speaking regarding um, you know because because I think competitive forces are more of a discipline on on companies than than you know uh, the the decision making process that governments you know uh, that whatever is the product of the decision making process of governments. I think that's exactly right, and it, it may be the the beacon of hope that we're looking for in this conversation because it will it implies that companies will continue to try to build trust with their users, regardless of what kind of uh, environment, political or or, uh, or economic they find themselves in. For example, you know it, it's easy to uh, level a claim that. Uh, Certain, you know, data for TikTok is stored in a particular way and used for nefarious purposes. Um, I will, as a board member of TikTok, I'm not, but if I were, I would do everything in my power to make sure the company demonstrated and continued uh, to, to live by um, a structure that was made that manifestly untrue. Right? So you can get stuck in a, in a political vice, but you can extricate yourself by, by taking certain steps that ultimately users will be comfortable with. Uh, and you know, in the tech sector, you're, you're, you're talking about two kinds of users. Well, you're talking about a lot of kinds of users, but there are at least two. One, one which is hypersensitive to this notion of how trustworthy the, the company and the platform is. And the other is uh, a user that is simply trying to use this basic tool uh, of economic uh, activity uh, to go about building their business or you know, maintaining their livelihood. Uh, and so there, there is a chance uh, that the big tech companies' efforts at instilling a sense of trust in their services will prevail in, in many markets uh, simply by virtue of the fact that um, for the moment there are no indigenous competitors or alternatives, uh, service providers, alternatives to, to the services that the, the big tech companies are providing. And as a consequence, the citizens will just suck it up uh, and accept that there is perhaps not only just a lack of competition, but also just enough skepticism, if not 
you know, enough trust and enough skepticism uh, to keep the, the, the companies honest. Certainly more honest than they would, certainly uh, the company, they would uh, attribute more honesty to the companies than they would ascribe to their home governments, as, as you, know, you yourself just did. So Greg, you, um, you touched on social media, I mean, TikTok, you mentioned there, but one of the main sort of catalysts for, for public awareness uh, with regards to tech regulation, um, really in the broader eyes, being, you know, the Trump and the Brexit votes and the role that social media played in those. Um, it's it's kind of linked the idea of tech re- regulation to much more polarizing uh, ideas around, you know, just general political themes. Is it, um, is it, is it realistic in your opinion to think that, you know, regulating big tech will actually uh, amount to solving any of the social, sociopolitical issues that are connected to the internet and the internet age in general? Of course, of course, of course it can. And, and of course it does, but ultimately, you know, the, in, in respect of the big strokes, for example, the emergence of a, a social media platform that would not amplify fake news or allow, uh, echo chambers in the same way that the incumbents have, uh, that's going to have to um, grow up sui generis. And there are models for, for such, uh, how shall I put it, you know, disaggregated uh, social groups with, uh, on, on platforms. Nobody's built the platform yet, but it, it is possible to do. And if the pendulum swings in a direction such that uh, users s- simply have a belly full of uh, misinformation or disinformation, uh, then it's entirely possible that the business case for an alternative social network model will uh, emerge you know, very quickly. The technology certainly is there and uh, it, it would seem as though the investment is there. So if nothing else, the regulation has to make sure that they don't do anything inconsistent with um, the possibility of challengers uh, coming up in the market. But uh, to your, your initial question, of course, um, regulation can help reinstill trust. Uh, it's in some ways down to the tech companies themselves, not to resist too much, um, but to suggest, it, it's almost as if you, you would do at a meeting, you know, with somebody whom you uh, virulently disagree with, you never say, look, you're, you're, you're off your tree. On the contrary, you say, uh, that's an excellent idea in principle. Um, to add to that, I would suggest, and then you, you know, present your, you sort of punt it slightly to the right and, and take the, the conversation in direction that you know, builds a, hopefully a little bit on, on their essential tenets, but is more suited to what a tech company is able to provide. Because I think a lot of regulation at the moment, uh, at least that which is descri- discussed in uh, political fora uh, in, in, in parliaments and uh, in the public space is, I, I, I want to say, you know, I, I understand where it comes from, but the application of it or the meeting out of it uh, would be you know, challenging, if not impossible. Listening to you, Greg, I, I have two main takeaways, I think, from an, from an investor perspective that, that in a way are, are comforting. One is, I think, what, what many investors fear that, that you know, um, change in, you know, elections in one one big country or another uh, might might bring about uh, you know a change that will um, call for breakup of big tech and all of these things that that we sometimes hear about is is probably far fetched and, and unrealistic because because the issues are really quite complex and 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 
and breaking up big tech is not a practicable uh, um, uh, you know objective in, in in itself and 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 the other is that is that um, you know the the all of this what we're talking about in terms of regulation is not necessarily negative for for the bottom line the the taxation issue we we touched upon at first uh, you know, could be negative for the bottom line, but but the taxation issue is a is a is a broad, broad corporate taxation issue that that you know has its own complexities. But am I right in assuming that you know my having my main takeaways is that this isn't all necessarily negative? And that's that's the thing to be remembered when you know you're investing in in the tech sector and you're also hearing across the board, you know, in, in, on, on social media, at, at, at your dinner, uh, you know, in, on your commute with your friends and in, in, your, in your government, uh, you're hearing nothing about, nothing louder than the need for regulation of the tech sector. So I'm an investor, but I, I know that my, my investment is going to be regulated into the ground, or at least I'm hearing that it ought to be. That's absolutely right, that it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad for the company. Ultimately, um, the, the takeaway here is indeed that is all uh, working towards closing the trust gap or uh, improving uh, consumer trust uh, in the service or, or the, the hardware, the technology that, that, that the company is selling to, to consumers or to businesses. And that cannot be a bad thing. So, you know, at a philosophical level, yes, uh, at a practical level, it's a matter of degree. And, you know, so far, I have to say, uh, to the extent that anybody has really taken the conversation to any level of detail, take the example of tax, you know, a 4% tax uh, on in-country e-commerce sales, this is not crippling uh, by any means. It, it absolutely will affect the bottom line. But uh, if that's what it takes to make you know, I, I don't, don't want to name names, but, I, you know, a, a company, a national stakeholder, or somebody who pays into the national treasury and therefore is contributing to the public good, it's a small price to pay, it seems to me. On that thought, I, uh, thanks very much, Greg. You always have thought-provoking and, and interesting yeah, yeah. things to say. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Clients of Parkview may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.